Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Orman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios, 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 5 a.m. out west. For all of you early risers, thanks for tuning in and watching, listening. We will be joined uh, after the break by Sky Eddie Bruce, a friend of the show. Look forward to talking with her about um, parents and clubs. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, and due to our current system, it often creates issues. So uh, we're going to get into some of those, and uh, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation and one that that I look forward to, uh, and uh, and I'm excited to get into. Um, I think I think parents don't know how much our U.S. soccer system affects uh, their everyday grassroots soccer, local soccer life, and um, I think that I think it's going to be a fun time getting into that. Uh, yesterday, um, I asked right back, Serginho Dest. Um, basically, another article came out. People, American soccer fans, have been really kind of consumed as of late with two big topics. One is Christian Pulisic's playing time at Chelsea and is he or is he not going to play for the, the U.S. national team, speaking of Sergino Dest. And uh, an article came out looking at, at where where Dest is because he, he did not make himself available for this round of games because they were not friendlies. They were competitive games. Therefore, if he plays for the U.S. men's national team, he is locked in to the U.S. men's national team, and he wanted to keep himself available for the Dutch national team. And a lot of American fans were bemoaning that fact, but if you look at his life um, growing up, I mean, he grew up, in the Netherlands, American father, Dutch mother. They only spoke Dutch in the house. He didn't even really started speaking English until he started coming over to the States. His father's from Brooklyn. And he, you know, started doing better once he started playing for some of the U.S. youth national teams. Um, but in an, in an interview where he was going back and forth and talking with his uh, teammate Alex Mendez, he said, when I thought of football when I was younger, it was always Ajax or the Dutch team, never the U.S., but I haven't been approached by the Dutch team. Um, added whether or not being contacted by the Netherlands had been a factor in his decision. This is his decision not to, to, to come yet. He added maybe. My father's from Brooklyn, but we spoke Dutch at home. Actually, until a few years ago, my English was very poor. I wasn't thinking of my American roots at all until I went to play in an American youth team. From that moment, my English improved, and I started to feel more American. I realized that, hey, this is my nationality, too. Now I think it's great to be an American as well. It's an asset, and, an, and as well, the U.S. passport is one of the best in the world. So... You've got a young guy, 18, figuring it out. You know, for all the hysteria 
on on social media about will he or won't he, I reiterate what I said the other day, which is if the Dutch national team is a serious option and they are telling him that he has a future with them and that he feels he can play at a high enough level to have a future with them. Setting aside everything that I just read to you, just looking at the two programs, you know, I'm, I'm picking the Dutch national team 10 times out of 10 just for football reasons, for competitive reasons. Um, but if it's not realistic and the U.S. is a fallback option, I, I don't think he'd have any problem putting on the U.S. men's national team shirt, and I think he'd be proud to wear it, and we'd be proud to have him. And I think that's it. I mean, I, I think a lot of this hysteria over, you know, will these young guys do this? Will they do that? Like, everyone just needs to breathe. Like, they'll they'll figure out what they figure out, and, and it is what it is. I mean, it, it's not like the U.S. men's national team is coming off their fourth World Cup. I mean, that's a different conversation at that point. But our men's national team have gotten nowhere near winning a World Cup. So, you know, we're not even competitive. You look at, uh, at the U.S. men's national team globally, even in the realm of CONCACAF, and, and, and we're just not in a good spot. So the idea that, that, you know, it's a tough decision, it's a tough decision because he's wanting to wait as long as possible to see if the Netherlands is going to be a legitimate option because he's 18. I mean, he's 18. So what if they're telling him, look, you're an option. We want to bring you in. Maybe you're not quite ready at 18 for the senior team, but we'd like to, to get you in, involved in the program and, you know, whatever. And then that becomes his choice. It becomes his option. He has to figure that out. I don't know. I've not spoken to him or anyone in his camp, but, I'm just saying, like, if that's an option, a legitimate option, I think he has every right and should. I mean, anyone, any advisor to him should be telling him, hey, take your time. Figure this out. It's not like the U.S. national team program is uh, going to be impatient in this. I mean... No one's beating down our door. So it is what it is. I, I just I, I hope that he he gets the best information that he can to make a good decision. That's all I hope. And then whatever decision he makes, once he gets all of the facts and all of the details and everything there, once he gets all of that in place, then whatever he chooses, he chooses. You know, if I if I was in in his ear, or if he was a friend of mine, or someone I was advising, I would. That's what I would say. So look, let's just get all the information. Let's get all the facts. Let's talk to everybody. Then we can make a decision. Then you can, you know, feel like okay, you have everything in place to make a good decision. Seek the wise counsel, get the feedback from both federations, and then go from there. I think it was smart on his part not to rush into anything this window. 
and we'll see how it shakes out. Um, looks like Allison for Liverpool, who's been out most of the season with a leg injury, a freak freak injury. Uh, looks like he's he's targeting Man, Man United clash uh, with some extra training that as his comeback. We'll see uh, how that goes in, uh, in in about a week and a half or so. Um, Barca is uh, has changed a little bit of their model, and um, and so over the last few years, ever since the Neymar sell, they've been including player transfers as part of their income and in budget uh annual budget purposes before that was kind of just bonus money but they have been operating uh with less margin and they have pressure on them because of their structure they don't they're not owned by someone they're owned by the supporters it is a supporters owned club and uh, they have rules in place that if they don't stay in the black then uh, a recall or or an election the whole board could be thrown out over an an election it's in their bylaws and so uh, they're feeling the pressure to make those sales they were trying to get it done this summer they weren't able to looks like Coutinho who's already on loan at Bayern Munich as well as Rakitic are two of the names that have been tossed out to get them back in the black, and they're going to need about 124 million in sales to do that. And we're going to get back into into that and 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 another topic uh, coming up after the break, um, and after our chat with, with Sky, because I I think it's important to see the difference, not just the money, but the but the operational difference. Um, in in what Barcelona is looking at in, in this uh, other topic versus where we could be and should be in this country if we were operating in a in a proper system. So, um, but uh, it, it it will be. I think they'll get it done. Um, the one thing that the that Barca board above all they want to stay in power and. I wish they weren't in power because I think they've gotten away from the soul and essence of the club, but um, we shall see. So our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Again, that is D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW to get 10% off of your next order. If you haven't gone and got one of the new t-shirts, beanies, notebooks, I don't know what you're waiting on. It's time to get it done. They're going to have some new products coming out soon as well. So keep an eye on those at ductickbrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Sky Eddie Bruce.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Wednesday, October the 9th. We are excited to be joined by Sky Eddie Bruce, a friend of the show. Welcome back. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, we are happy to, to have a, a chance to, to catch up with you and talk about a subject uh, that I think uh, a lot of people kind of grumble about, uh, but not necessarily gets addressed head on. And that is the relationship and the relational dynamic between parents and clubs. Um, I've seen this thing play out time and time again. And um, for better, for worse, it is it is a byproduct of our system where parents pay the bills and um, clubs sometimes feel like parents are too involved. And then other times they feel like they're not too, you know, not involved enough. Um, And then, you, you know, you get into all of the other aspects of the parent club dynamic. And I wanted to kind of get into some of those with you. the first thing is this, when, when, when you are, are counseling clubs or associations, uh, maybe even your own personal experience, um, what has been one of the biggest issues you've seen uh, in terms of parents not understanding things from a club perspective? What, what is, what has what has caused that issue for you? Have you ever seen that kind of pop up? And, and in what way has that become an issue? Um, yeah, for sure. I think probably the the area that comes to mind for me is that, I mean, you and I are both parents. We, we primarily view soccer from the perspective of our child, our individual child. And a club is responsible for, you know, hundreds, thousands of individual players. So I would say that one of the largest conflicts is that, you know, parents are very child-centered, individual child-centered, and the club is having to think on more of a macro level um, about what's best for everyone. So in that macro versus micro uh, conversation, um, one of the things that I see that gets lost oftentimes is a misunderstanding of intentions. So, you know, everybody makes mistakes and parents make them, clubs make them. I mean, let's just get that out there. No one's perfect. Uh, We're all human. We all make mistakes. But a lot of times I think what happens is uh, a mistake might happen or maybe it's not a, a mistake at all. Maybe it's just simply a misunderstanding. And there's not uh perspective there you know there's there's no empathy uh or little empathy between the parent and the club and the club and the parent um and and i think that you know sometimes what could be you know handled in a conversation uh becomes a lot bigger and more drama than it than it needs to be um how do you, how do you think a club in a healthy way, as well as a parent in a healthy way, how could they address those moments where there is a misunderstanding or there is uh, a mistake maybe that's even been made? Uh, what do you think is the best way to kind of handle some of those situations? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the work that I'm doing is talking about establishing trust and is talking about, um, you know, being proactive in our communication with each other. 
um, making sure the door is open and the parent feels the door is open. A lot of these issues arise because there isn't a defined communication channel for the parent. And it feels like when they have something that's stressful for them or that they want to see addressed or even just have a conversation about just to be heard, it, it comes across like they're the complaining parent that's coming in um, to um, to whine about their child's playing time or, you know, that they didn't make a team. And that's the the immediate perceptions, um, the, the preconceived ideas that um, clubs, coaches um, just carry with them. I mean, we all carry them with us, um, you know, is, is something that's a challenge. So I would say if the door is open, that there are communication channels in place, that we're being proactive with our communication, clubs that have really good leadership and leadership that values communication and that sees the importance of it and um, opens the door to parents, you know, these issues are are not as prevalent as they are in clubs where the door is closed and there's these, you know, preconceived ideas that are floating around about what all parents are. When it comes to communication, what are some specific things that a parent can do in terms of, I know, I know a lot of times, uh, you know, intentions, right? You mean well, but you know, maybe it's the the platform or the method of communication you choose to use and tone gets lost or what have you. How do you have, uh, you know, any ideas on how a parent should approach a club? Should they go to the coach first? Should they meet with the DOC first? Should they meet with both? Is there a process or anything that you kind of try to walk people through from the parent perspective to the club in terms of handling and being proactive with, uh, with the communication from their end. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every club with good leadership in place should have a policy for this. You know, if you have an, an, a complaint that involves, you know, the safety of your child related to the coach, then this is who you talk to. And it should be really clear. Or if you have an issue that's related to the team itself, then you have to address it with the coach first. If you don't have resolution to that, then you have the option to, meet with this director of coaching, whoever's, you know, focusing on that age group, depending on the size of the club and the coach at the same time, you know, there has to be a plan and a policy, just like you would have in a school for addressing these any types of issues that you have. So then, you know, this coach parent, the club parent coach relationship, the dynamic is very undefined and it's way too often um, just controlled by, again, these sort of preconceived ideas or uh, that, that we have for each other. Um, whether that be the way coaches feel about parents or parents feel about coaches or club leadership, I mean, it all, it all is related. So all the more reason that it's really important that there are really clear and specific policies that come into play. Um, and, and that the club leadership um, follows them. Um, I've told this story before the team that I was coaching last year, I had a couple parents that were upset with some things that I was doing. Well, I would say that they were really upset with the performance of their children and, um, with the way the sidelines were like some things that I had no idea were going on. And the parents went directly to the director of coaching for that age group. And I wasn't happy with how he handled it either because he listened to those parents. And then kind of called me in to talk to me about it when really the policy should have been right from the beginning. Okay. This is really just related to the dynamics of your team. My suggestion first go and talk to Sky about it. I know she'll you know be willing to listen to you 
And I'm sure you can work through that. If it doesn't get resolved, then let's talk again in a week or I'll follow up with you to make sure it's resolved. I mean, there should have been a plan like that. And instead, it wasn't handled correctly from the club leadership, which was frustrating for me as a coach. And, you know, we don't want our coaches frustrated with um, how they're being treated. So all the more reason and all the, you know, we just need to professionalize a little bit our communication channels that we have within clubs. One of the things that I see with communications as well is your actions need to match what you in, what your intentions are or what your communications are. And here's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. If you, as a club, for example, say, you know, here's what we plan to do. If you don't communicate that the plan has changed and you do other you do other things of course you're going to create doubt you're going to create frustration in the minds of parents uh, because they're operating off of off, off of a plan or or you know something that's been given them in advance right so yeah. it, you know whether that is you know play, how you're going to handle playing time how you're going to handle scheduling uh, of training sessions or scheduling of games you know uh, whatever it doesn't really matter what is at at, at question it's that if you come with a you know communication that says x then what you do needs to line up with x and if it's not going to back to what you said about being proactive with communication this is where from the club side where i i see clubs shoot themselves in their foot in the foot all the time which is they'll say hey we're going to do this 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 and this midway through the season the parents are going where is any of this right we're mm-hmm. we're doing this we're doing something else Um, and, and that could be, you know, in a parent meeting, the director of coaching is saying, this is our, our playing philosophy as a club. And then you're going out and you're watching teams and they're not playing, uh, under that philosophy. Right. And so nothing has been proactively communicated on, you know, deviating from what had been stated in the past. So, when when you look at the club side of this and 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 being proactive in the communication how important is that and and how much do you see that when in your conversations around the country in terms of being proactive okay look we said we were going to do this but we we're going to make a shift or we've got to make a change how important is 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 proactivity as well as consistency in terms of delivering on that communication when it when it's from a club back to a parent perspective yeah i mean i think we all can agree that it's essential and this is where we're just falling short um And a lot of the issues that parents have are for these reasons specifically. You know, we want our children and parents want their children to be in an environment where they feel where where we as parents trust that they're safe and trust that they're developing and trust that they're having fun. Like all of these things really are important to us. And when our instincts kick in that say that this isn't happening, um, then that's when we feel a need to speak up. And, um, you know, the thing that you were talking about, you know, your actions need to match your intentions. That's, that's exactly establishing trust. You know, when we're talking and when I'm talking to clubs about establishing trust, I'm talking to them about 
um, you know, delivering the results. So if you say you're going to do this, this, and this, you need to do this, this, and this, um, you know, really keep your commitments, um, clarify your expectations for, um, what their level of commitment is to the club, how often you expect them to be at training. If you do allow them and encourage them to play another sport and it's okay if they miss one training a week to do that, or, if your expectations at this level that they be there and this be their top priority, like we need to be really clear with people about that so that there's no confusion. I um, mean, you know, we need to confront realities. Um, when a child is playing in the wrong environment, when they should be, you know, playing on the team below, and that's just the reality that they will thrive and be more inspired. If they move down to a lower level, we need to have those difficult conversations. Um, uh, you know, showing loyalty, uh, playing time, a perfect example, bringing in guest players to play in a tournament and leaving players that have been committed to the team on the bench. Is that showing loyalty? Is that establishing trust? Is that really what we want to be um, portraying as, is what's most important to us. If we say we don't want to focus on winning, we want to focus on development, but we bring in guest players for tournaments. What are we really doing with that? Um, so anyway, I, I would say that a lot of what you're talking about um, is about clubs just getting better. Um, we can do youth soccer better. And I do believe that a lot of the, um, <laughs> I almost use the word gripes. And it's funny because I was on a podcast last week with a group from the UK and the guy kept talking about how parents have all these, or coaches have these gripes and I was making fun of them. But it kind of is that, you know, this in, in the back of our mind as coaches, we feel like parents have all these gripes, but a lot of times they're really well-founded and it's a, it's a moment for us to realize, Hey, how can I do better? How am I not serving the player and the community um, and these families the way that I need to be? How can I be better with my communication and with, um, you know, just delivering the results and keeping the commitments that I've already, that I've already um, established. I think one of the um, one of the, the the aspects of from the coach um, club perspective back to the parents, it, mm-hmm. you know, that you brought up is you know in in the in the back of the minds of coaches and, and the club leadership is it's like oh my gosh you know the parents are just such a problem and and I've said yeah. this many times like you know parents are the problem with youth sports uh, and and a lot of times that is the case, but, and I'm, I'm going to throw in a really big, but here, um, some of those problems are self-inflicted, uh, with not being consistent with the communication, not being proactive in handling, uh, situations. Uh, and I get it, you know, I, I am one, like my wife and I are complete opposites in this. Uh, I don't mind confrontation. I don't mind a difficult conversation. Um, it, it it might be that I enjoy confrontation and those things. <laughs> I mean, they just mm-hmm. don't bother me at all. My wife, on the other hand, would rather go hide in the woods than have a conversation with you about something uh, that that you would consider to be confrontational. It doesn't. And when I use confrontation, I don't even mean like nasty or mean. She just you know, if she, if she even thinks that it might be an awkward conversation, she'd rather just not have it. Um, so I, I understand that not every coach is the same way, right? That, that 
not every coach welcomes or enjoys uh, a difficult conversation or an uncomfortable conversation. But to me, one of the things that I've seen in the past that really helped, and, and, and I want to harp on the consistency piece here, there is a consistency that is required in terms of delivery. So if you say before the season, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, delivering X, Y, and Z, that's one form of consistency that, you know, helps a lot. But another form of consistency that I, that I see clubs really miss on, which is to me really crucial is consistency in terms of frequency of communication. And I don't mean like sending out a message, Hey, we have training today or this, here's what's going on this week with, you know, we're going to train Monday, Tuesday, and we're going to have a game on Saturday. I'm not talking about the generic kind of scheduling, administrative cons- consistency of right. communication. Those are helpful, and I'm not saying turn those off. Uh, I, I know parents uh, welcome the reminders and, and you know, because everybody's busy. I get it. But what I'm talking about is the consistency of the meaningful conversations. So, for example, when I used to have my own travel uh, club and it was a small single squad uh, travel club, we were a free to play club. So we didn't get into a lot of the issues that a lot of pay to play clubs have to deal with in terms of, you know, parents feeling like they're entitled or this is at least what I've heard from clubs before where they feel like entitled because they're paying the bills that they, I just don't agree with that either, but okay. Right. But uh, I'm just, I'm just, we can get back to that in just a second. So so one of the things that I did with our players is I, every, every couple of weeks um, gave them feedback on their pecking order in terms of playing time positions they were being considered for. Uh, I basically released a, a depth chart at every position and they would kind of see where they were. I would give them like specific feedback on different aspects of their game. And, and these were all going on throughout the season. So you never had any questions of where you stood in our eyes as the coaches, what we saw from you. And, and we were always trying to constantly give you feedback back on here's where we see you here's some things you need to address you know we're obviously going to be looking to help you address those in training but on your own here's some things you can do so even in a moment where we had you know we didn't have guaranteed playing time this was an expectation that we told our our parents ahead of time there was no guaranteed playing time everything was earned and it, it, it was obviously our best players were going to play the most time. But one of the things we always told all of our, our families was if the players are coming, they're competing, they're trying, they're giving effort. We're going to give we're going to get them all playing time. And then there's going to be some matches where they're going to get a lot of playing time. There's going to be some matches where maybe they don't get a lot of playing time, but they're going to get playing time. But we had one particular match where one of our players and it was the only time this ever happened one of our players never got in the game and they never got in the game not because we were going man that kid's a bad player sure he wasn't one of our best players but he didn't get in the game because for the week or two leading up to this weekend of that weekend of games they weren't giving effort and practice it was like they didn't want to be there we kept having conversations with the player about 
You know, are you going to be there? Are you, are you going to compete? So we tried to play uh, this player in uh, one of the matches during the weekend, and it looked just like training. I mean, it, it was basically playing a man down. And so in that game, we just made the decision, like, you're going you're gonna to sit out. So after the game, he was bumped. He was a little frustrated. And he's he was right at that age point where, you know, the, you hear so often, age 13, kids either, you know, leave the sport in droves, right? They quit playing. Mm-hmm. So we immediately, I'm, I'm talking like moments after the game, I'm meeting with his parents him and his older brother, who was a, a a really good soccer player and like a you know mentor to him, right after the game, I didn't even let him get to the parking lot, and I said, you know, do you know why we didn't play you today? And he didn't want to talk at first, but his parents were, you know, they were supportive, and they were like, you know, you need to talk to your coach, whatever. And I explained to the player the reason why we we didn't play is because you weren't trying in training and yesterday you didn't try in the game and you're letting us, you're letting your teammates down, but more importantly, you're letting yourself down by just not trying. That's all we ask for is effort. Like you've got to at least show that you want to be out there. And it was a, it was a crossroads moment. Does he, does he walk away? Does he quit? And a lot of people would have said, you've got to coddle him in order to keep him. Right, you got to give him more playing time. Try to make him happy uh, to keep him around, and and instead we had that kind of come to Jesus moment and and had that conversation, and and he came to practice the next week and he was wrecking people, and and in a good way, and I don't mean like it was nasty. I mean like he was competing. And he started moving up the depth chart, and uh, I don't have that travel club anymore. It's I haven't had it for a couple of years. But I saw his parents this weekend, and he was playing. He's not on an A team. He's on a B team. And I stopped, and I watched him. And he's on the field, and he is competing. He's not taking it easy. He's giving effort. Um, he could have very easily walked away from the sport. He knows he's not going to be as good as his older brother. Um, but he also loves the game and decided through that experience that that life lesson, you know, that we were trying to work with him on is like, you just got to compete. You just got to try. Um, you can get something out of the sport. You can love the sport, but you have, you have to give something to the sport. You have to give your effort. So in, mm-hmm. in that feedback of consistency, we were able to build trust with the player and the parents they knew it wasn't a shock to them when he didn't play. They were also the ones backing me up with him whenever I had the conversation. All of that came because of consistency. Um, you know, so w- when I look at clubs and that conversation with with families, this is an area where I feel clubs, I, and I get it, you got hundreds, sometimes thousands of kids and it might seem a little overwhelming from, you know, from the director of coaching perspective where you've got all these kids and families. But if you can get consistent in giving regular feedback and evaluations, you can really help yourself build trust and nip some of these other issues in the bud by just 
giving that consistent feedback as you go. How do you see um, consistent feedback uh, from, from your point of view? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you've touched on a few important things. Um, I think that the that needs to be driven from a club level. So our club's philosophy and as a coach in our club, I'm talking about paid coaches, not volunteer parent coaches here, but um, that our policy is that you will provide parents feedback X number of times. Um, I think we need to be really careful with how the feedback is provided. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, Daniel, if I had to do a depth chart, which I would never do by the way, but if I had to do a depth chart and come up with some long email to send to parents every week, I, I would not do that. Um, but the way that I communicated with my teams is I have a really quick pregame huddle where I talk to my parents for two to three minutes before every game, we have a nice interaction that works for me. So there needs to be something that's driven from the club level, but I think it can't be too controlling and it needs to be um, the coach needs to have some ability to communicate in a way that suits them best. Um, we talk a lot about feedback and their need for feedback. Um, it, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, I, I kind of feel like we're going to hopefully at some point get past this conversation and it's just a regular expectation. I mean, this is a lot of the work that I'm doing with soccer parenting is that, you know, I think it's okay for parents. It's okay for you to expect to get normal and regular or consistent and regular feedback on your child and their development in a, in a higher level environment. Um, that should be a no brainer and clubs that aren't doing that, they are going to have issues with parents and you're going to have issues with your sidelines and you are not establishing trust. And that's going to play out in many other ways. And you're not going to have the framework of that relationship in place so that exactly the example you use, you're not going to be able to impact players the way that you really have the potential and the capacity to impact their lives if that layer of trust isn't there. Because had you not played that player in the game, which is a whole nother thing, maybe I would have talked to the parent ahead of time and collaborated with them on this life lesson so that there wasn't you know, any stress. Because thankfully, the parent, because you had trust with them, was on your side during that conversation after the game and their parenting skills were such that they said, yes, you need to talk to your coach. A lot of parents in our day and age wouldn't have done that. And they would have been upset and frustrated or, you know, clubs that have 24 hour rules, we could say what was most effective. Was it most effective for you to talk right after? Yeah, probably. And if a club has this arbitrary 24 hour rule, how does that all play in? So, you know, there's a lot of discussion points here. But the bottom line is because you've established trust with your club, with your parents, that that was able to happen. I had a similar example this weekend. I'm watching games um, it's like a U15 game, 14 game maybe. Um, there's a free kick. There's the parent from the sidelines is screaming, ask for 10 yards, ask for 10 yards. He's talking to his daughter who's about to take the kick. And I was so, you know, thinking like, gosh, really what needs to happen is that the player needs to know that that needs to happen themselves. And you're taking away this opportunity for the player to learn, to have that autonomy um, and to learn in the moment. Um, maybe they're going to learn by not asking for 10 yards. And then the next time they have this opportunity, they will um, implement this skill, which is really how we want children to learn. Long story is that because the coach has such a great relationship with the parents, he's able to have that nice conversation with a parent about learning and 
what they're trying to get out of these children and helping them realize they need to ask for that themselves without a reminder. And this was a great learning opportunity that you actually took away from them. You know, those conversations can happen. And that's that's great from a player development standpoint. But the baseline for all of that needs to be there being an actual relationship between the coach and the parent so that these types of conversations, whether it be you about playing time or this coach about, you know, how kids learn, um, you know, that those kind of conversations can be facilitated. How important is it for you when a coach is giving feedback or maybe an update to, to deliver? It doesn't have to be, like you said, paragraphs. And what we did with our feedback uh, was not a bunch of paragraphs. Uh, so I don't want to misconstrue. Mm-hmm. You know, I was not sitting yeah. down and writing novels to players. But some coaches do. Some coaches do. Like they'll write. This is what we're doing in training this week. And that that works for some coaches, but we can't, I don't think say this is the way it has to be. Right. But there should be weekly communication. I I think that that could be maybe an expectation or maybe a monthly update, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We just need to set something that's reasonable and then be consistent and follow through. Totally. So in that feedback, in that, that communication, establishing trust, how important is it in your eyes to deliver the why behind the what? Do you understand what I'm asking there? Like the why from a larger scale, like why we're doing what we're doing? Or, or yeah, or why? May, so, for example, so uh, let's say that your 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 club is going to move players back and forth between rosters. So maybe you've got sure. a first team, maybe you've got a second team, and you have. You know, in, in every pool of players, if you have, you know, three teams of mm-hmm. depth of players, if you have two teams of depth of players, it's not going to be black and white that every player that's on the first team is is at that level versus a second or a third. Sometimes kids are going to be thriving at the second team and deserve some first, you know, first team kind of minutes. And you see that around the world. I mean, you have Barca, you have Barca B, you see players float in between, and then you've got players that are primarily Barca B players, and obviously your Messies and, and Suarez's of the world that are that are only, you know, a Barca A player. So in in those moments where maybe you've got a player that's a, that that I would classify as a floater, you know, that somebody's going to go kind of bef- between the two, and maybe it's just where they are in training or practice or whatever, this week they're going to play with the first team. Next week, I'm thinking, you know, after watching practice, I'm going to move them and have them have an opportunity, like you said, to thrive in the second team, maybe work on some things in the second team that maybe they wouldn't get as much opportunity to do if they were still with the first team every week. In that aspect, how important is it for a coach to deliver the why behind what you're doing so that parents understand what's going on? Yeah, 100% you should. I mean, um, and, and those types of conversations should happen. If you know that that's a player that you're going to, you know, even when you take them to the team, you could be like, gosh, I really want them to practice with this team, but they're probably going to play 50% of the games with a lower team just to make sure they get the playing time and can continue to develop. You know, that conversation needs to happen way up front. And, you know, then we need to think about other things from a parent's and a family's perspective. If they have three kids, that are all playing travel soccer and you're telling them on Friday night what team they're going to be playing for and where, you know, where they're going to be playing, you know, that, that might logistically present some real challenges. So one, we need to be just cognizant of that. 
But without a doubt, we need to be explaining those things. Um, the fact that that in his the past we haven't is is why we're we are where we are right now. So we need to invite parents to these conversations and um, you know demonstrate that respect, help them um, you know really um, talk you know, and talk straight to these parents to help them understand what the process is. And and if the parents are trusting what trust you then those conversations are going to go great. Um, I I think the other thing that I just want to jump to, because what we're talking about here is is really, you know, we can classify parents in a couple of different places and a couple of different ways. Um, I don't want to really classify or like put people in boxes, but I think it's important that we understand that, you know, a lot of the parents that we have had problems with over the years that have really burned us as coaches, that have really made us feel the way we feel, you know, those are just really um, problem parents, it, parents that have issues. You know, I call them in my the work that I do, like the crazy soccer parents. And we need to stop letting these crazy soccer parents, you know, control our environment or control the way that we treat the rest of the parents. Because as coaches, again, we've been burned by them. And so we're fearful of parents. We're fearful of having to have, go through those experiences again if we've had like a really difficult parent on our teams in the past. But we need to stop using those crazy parents as an excuse for not engaging with the real level-headed ones that just really want what's best for their children and are trying. They just need information. They just need communication. They just need feedback. All things that are normal and should be expected in our environment when we're doing youth soccer correctly. So I just want to make sure that you know, we understand that the vast majority of parents, all they need is just this communication. All they need is just some of the why behind the what. Um, and once they have that, then we're going to be able, that, then player development will be enhanced. Players will develop more once we can bring parents in the fold and they can go along the journey with us. Because they have, parents have a, a huge impact on their child's, um, you know, desire to continue playing just based on, the, the conversations that they're having with them, the interactions that parents are having with them. So we do need to guide parents along these interactions. Um, you know, as parents, we don't get enough information about, you know, the way to talk to our children about things or how to support our children or, um, you know, how to back up a coach um, in, in the correct environment. So, you know, these are all conversations that we do need to have. And that that's exactly what I'm working to have with soccer parenting is to just open those lines of communication, open the door to those conversations and having those conversations um, and, and in empowering parents to have those types of conversations with coaches and with their clubs. Because again, I do believe it's in the best interest of player development. Anytime you have parents, kids and competition mixed together, there's always going to be issues of some kind. You know, a parent's going to think their kids should be getting more playing time, etc. All. I, 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 yeah, I guess. I mean, you, you know, you just like, you want the best for your kids. Right. So like you may, you, and when I say issues, I I don't mean necessarily there's drama. I just mean like a parent may think watching the game, like, I, I think my kids should be playing more than than this other player because I think they're better or whatever, right? You're always going to have like your own opinions. Everyone's entitled to them. Where I think we, we where we don't do a good job as Youth Soccer America at large is handling the things that we could handle that would make a lot of the drama uh, happen less frequently as well as 
nip a lot of things in the bud completely. And that's a lot of the stuff we've been talking about today, the communication, the frequency of communication, the meaningful feedback uh, as well. One of the comments I made a, a moment ago to you and, and you, you, uh, I said, I wanted to get back to you with it was this, this idea that parents feel in, entitled uh, to, you know, get involved or play a role or whatever, because they're, they're paying the bills. And it, mm. I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, <laughs> but whatever I said, you, you, you definitely, it, it struck a nerve with you. So it, I don't know exactly what I said to kind of strike, you know, get that nerve struck, but what was kind of going through your head? What, what, what did you want to kind of cover yeah. when it came to that? I think, I think, I think in many ways clubs need to get better. And when clubs are, following through when they are providing a really solid environment, when they are providing a quality learning environment for players, then parents aren't going to feel that way. And we've, we've lumped this idea that parents feel entitled and it's sort of a way of not, oftentimes it can be a way of not dealing with the real issues at hand with that. We're not providing an environment that suits all children that we're selecting kids too early, that, you know, there's a lot of stress that goes on in our youth soccer environment that we've created from the environment and from our structures. And so I don't think that it's that parents feel entitled so much that we're not communicating with them enough. And it's really easy to blame that on parents by saying, oh, they just feel entitled. But the bottom line is that, as we've discussed, the vast majority of these issues will be solved when clubs get better. When our youth soccer environment serves all players and, um, you know, we have a long way to go as far as that's concerned, but clubs and club leadership needs to really step up and they need to see and understand and appreciate and take responsibility for the role that they have in the lives of these players and their families and, and, the, and taking responsibility for the actions of their coaches and educating their coaches about things like, how to have these conversations, how to, um, you know, talk to parents in stressful situations. Um, you know, th that needs to be training that's provided to coaches. And, um, you know, those things just aren't, aren't happening enough yet. So how can people get in touch with you with soccer parenting to, because I'm sure those are some of the issues that you talk to clubs about. So mm -hmm. how can they get in touch with you and, and what, what could a club expect if they were to, you know, begin a conversation with you and, and figuring out, you know, next steps and, and what does all of that look like? Yeah. Um, so my, my website is just soccerparenting.com. Um, I work, have partnerships with clubs all over the country that have access to an education platform that I've created for parents called the soccerparentresourcecenter.com. Um, and that's like a membership platform that's for soccer parents. There's also some great coach education on there. So the clubs that I'm working with have access to coach education related to parent engagement and emotional intelligence and coaching amongst some other things. Um, you know, the, the clubs that I'm working with or clubs that are even just supporting the work that I'm doing with soccer parenting by sharing these, these things socially are really just starting to open the door. And um, when parents feel that the door is open to them, that's when we're going to start seeing this culture change. And, um, you know, the culture is our, our knowledge. So that's why I've created an education platform so that parents can gain the knowledge that they need 
so that our youth soccer culture will be improved and it's values. And, you know, I encourage people who are listening to check out our soccer parent value statements. You can find them at soccerparenting.com, but it's the values that we encourage parents to bring to the table when they're, um, you know, when they're parenting their children values, such as like active health and coach integrity, life lessons, love of the game, balanced outlook, soccer knowledge. These are all values that parents need to have. Um, and, um, you know, and again, to help them drive their behaviors around youth soccer. So, you know, that's really the work that I'm doing, Daniel, is really just trying to positively impact our youth culture um, by educating coaches, by being a resource for clubs, um, by supporting clubs in um, developing better programming to be able to um, present a youth soccer environment where all children, regardless of their athletic potential, regardless of the level they're playing, where all children can thrive. Well, I love the work that you're doing uh, and, and it, it is directly uh, to me uh, addressing an area where I think American youth soccer struggles the most, which is clubs too often don't have a deep enough relationship with their families. It's more mm -hmm. transactional. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you start building trust um, and, and establishing trust and, and creating a sense of camaraderie, uh, loyalty, etc. You can, you can generate deeper relationships, cultivate deeper relationships. And ultimately with, with an eye on becoming lifelong relationships instead of momentary or seasonal transactional relationships, you know, I, I recently did a show about clubs versus high schools and it's one of the things that was a theme that kept coming up, uh, through that show and, and even some, uh, Twitter banner back and forth was the fact that, you know, communities, even generationally go out and support their, their high schools, but you don't see that by and large with American soccer clubs. These are the same families in the same communities, but yeah. two different reactions. And one of the, the things to me that, that can help change that, now, this is a long-term thing. This is not going to be, hey, we're going to invest in, be, in having better communication, better relationships, and you know this is going to pay off in six months. But it's more of a culture shift of longevity, looking out uh, you know, even beyond a year, like five, 10 years, 15, 20 mm -hmm. years down the road, to shift away from this mentality of we're going to have you for three or four years, and then we may never deal with you again to we want you to be a part of us and we want to be a part of you for the rest of our lives exactly. um, and, 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 and develop these really deep bonds. And I think what we touched on today are some areas where we can start to improve and change that mentality and that relationship with, with parents, coaches, clubs, etc. So thanks for, uh, for spending some time with us and coming on the show. Um, I know, I know parents are not always the, uh, the most mm -hmm. fun topic for, for clubs and coaches to talk about, but I do think you, you made a good point. I mean, I think a lot of these things are, are, 
um, things that could be handled better from both sides. And I think empathy would help um, if you could kind of put yourself in, in, in the other shoes a little bit more. I think we could find some more common ground and, and solve some of these issues and attack them head on. So Sky, thanks for joining the show as always. We appreciate uh, you coming on and delivering your thoughts and, uh, and continue to do the great work that you're doing with soccer parenting. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Daniel. You too. Thank you. That is Sky Eddie Bruce with SoccerParenting.com. If you have not, check her out. Check her site out. It is an invaluable resource that could help your club uh, improve the relationships between what you do and the parents who are involved as well as your players. So check it out at SoccerParenting.com. Our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday, October the 9th. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. And um, and that conversation is often a difficult conversation. Uh, the conversation about parents and, um, you know, the relationship with clubs. It can be a little daunting at times. It can be frustrating at times from a coaching perspective. But however you choose to handle it, you know, if you can get consistent in delivering on that expectation, giving people and parents time to process and plan, I think is another, another big thing. And then just, you know, trying to find ways to involve parents, channel parents into being involved in your club in, in healthy ways. So, you know, one of the things I look at is like, if you don't want parents hovering over your practice, can you, can you provide them something else, an alternative? Is there a clubhouse they could go to? Uh, is there a meetup that they could do? Is there, is there a, a, a place at the complex where parents could get together and work on something together uh, on the benefit of the club in terms of, you know, maybe helping, you know, plan out some future things. Maybe it's actually like, working on certain, you know, projects around the park or what have you. I think there's a lot of things that could be done around the country with our, our soccer clubs, but we've got to start doing a little bit more uh, thinking uh, along the lines of 
being proactive and, you know, delivering the why behind the what and, and providing some alternatives as, as well. And I think Sky made some, some really good points throughout that conversation. And I really do appreciate her coming on the, uh, on the show. Um, I was, I was talking before we got to break with her about the whole Barcelona and the, the business of, of soccer, as well as some other things. And, and, the, and the last point I want to make on this show is that when you are operating and trying to do what's best, you make decisions, not just about me, you make decisions about the whole and you take those things into consideration. Looking at the business that Barcelona does, the way that they go about doing what they do, they're looking at player transfers and player sales, and they're getting those rewards because of the system, and that builds in their ability to deliver on what they're about. I'm not a big fan of Major League Soccer. If you've watched this show, you know that. However, I do have to commend the the new owner of the franchise in Chicago on their move to give all of their season ticket holders who have been there since the very first season, who have stayed loyal, uh, free season tickets for their first year in Soldier Field uh, beginning in 2020. It doesn't seem like much, and it may be a marketing ploy, but it's the right kind of marketing ploy. It's the kind that you should do. It, it is the kind of thing that goes back to what I was just talking about with parents. Do for one as you would like to do for all. You can find moments where you can do the right thing. Can it help you from a publicity and marketing standpoint? Absolutely. But, and, and this is the big but, it's also sometimes the right thing to do. And, uh, and so kudos to him for, for doing that. And, um, you know, I have to give credit where credit is due. That, to me, was a good good call. And um, in all that we do around this country with American soccer, I think we, we could all learn how to make some better calls on certain things, whether it's parent-club relationships or club and fan relationships. We can all do better. We should do better because I think we could be and should be the greatest soccer country on earth. And that's what this show is all about. Thanks for watching the show today. As always, you can watch on Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN or at DanielWorkman.com. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Daniel Workman. We'll see you again tomorrow.